1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. It's great to just lift you high and mighty because you are. Because you are far beyond everything that we can see. More glorious than the most beautiful thing we taste or see or hear. More powerful than anything in heaven or on earth. More good. More loving. More faithful. More true. So we thank you that you're here in this place. We thank you for your love for every person in this room. And we just invite you now to have your way, because your way is good and pleasing and perfect. May your presence fill this place. May we sense your spirit. I ask God for grace and mercy to be able to hear your voice today, that you might penetrate to the deep part of our soul that we know by the time we've left, we've been in the presence of the living God. And we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here with us on this uh, hot summer day. And um, we're gonna go ahead in this part of our service and take our offering. So normally we do it again at the end, but we're gonna take our offering right now so our connections team is prepared. And I just wanna remind you, like with these, these uh, video clips, are, are, that's not a video, that's actually just a static picture. But, but I just wanna remind you uh, as well, most of us, I know Susie and I, in this day and age, we are just doing a direct deposit that makes giving so much easier and faithful. And so I want to encourage you, we have this app right here, this push pay app that you can download. You can give anytime, any way. It takes like 15 seconds once you push down the app. But we also know that some of us come prepared in just this moment to give our offering. So Connections team, why don't you guys go ahead and uh, begin to pass that around And if you've come prepared to give. And we do this, right, because... God is greater than anything and so worthy of our lives. He's the one who created us and we love as we get to know him. We see that he is a God of love, that his very nature, his very essence doesn't have one selfish iota in it, none. He's holy in that way. And so he just gives freely and freely. And so when his spirit gets inside you, he does the same thing to you. He releases you from this curse of living for yourself and allows you just to give freely. And so we love to give back to him because he's so good to us. And that's what we're doing. So, um, so, so grateful for today. We're starting a brand uh, new series uh, today. And um, it's called Faith That Requires Faith. And um, basically what we're gonna do for the next four weeks is we're gonna look at the life of David in the Old Testament. And here's a man, right, who's called the man after God's own heart. Um, the four topics that we're going to look at 
are ones that I know affect every single one of us. And even for, for me, for all of us, as we look at this, I believe in him, right? Many of us in this room, most of us in this room would say, I believe in him. And yet, when it comes to living it out, we are actually confronted with the fact, I need more faith than what I have. <laughs> I have faith, but I need faith to actually really live this. And so today, what we're going to look at is the fact that we need faith that requires faith when you face opposition. When you face opposition. And here's what's true. There is no opposition to God that faith can't overcome. It's just true. There's no opposition to God and his will for your life that faith can't overcome. And so that's what we're going to look at today is this idea that the opposition, really, opposition is actually God's opportunity to reveal his glory. And so to kick off our day, we are actually going to have a, a guest come up. I want her to share her story in just a minute. Holding Out Help is an organization here in Utah that we support here at K2 and have for years and love it because it is a ministry that goes right against opposition. <laughs> to people experiencing the beauty of what God has for them. So let's watch this video. It'll give a good heartfelt understanding of holding out help and then Tanya Tool will be joining me. So watch this. I was born and raised in the FLDS community. I grew up in the Kingston group. I am from the Warren Jeffs Polygamist group. I came from the FLDS in Colorado City. And I'm now a wife and the mother of a one-year-old son. And today I am a single mommy going to nursing school. I'm working on my GED proudly and I'm starting a job at uh, a ski resort. I feel like I'm a better person now with raising my children. Uh, I was closest to my cousin. Um, we did everything together. I loved it growing up until I was 14. I love the memories of the parades and the Harvest Fest and the people we used to do things with. We could escape from the religion, the teachings, our, our dads. It was great until I got to see reality. I never saw my dad. He came home once every three months to knock on my mom and take off. You're supposed to just shut your mouth and do what you're told. My view of the outside world was that it was dangerous. I got really depressed and felt like that my life was not my own. So my dad sat me down on my 16th birthday and said, make me a list of who you want to marry and I'll look at it when I come back. <laughs> Hillary was running away. She was supposed to be married. I mean, she was 14. I was raped when I was 14. And because of the way that we were brought up, it was made to be my fault, and I wanted to kill myself, and I felt so alone. I was helping my mom raise my little brother and sister, and they were the two that I could cry to, and I couldn't cry to mom and dad because I just couldn't. My dad was very abusive, and I got sick of it. I definitely could tell that something was not right. I saw freedom in a lot of people that were around me at the time and I wanted to know what that freedom was. The lady that lived next door 
was a Mormon. And she says, there shouldn't be a person that, in your religion that tells you of one thing, and then they all do the opposite. And they took me out to a movie, Madagascar, and went and watched it, and, and my dad got after me, and I, I, I just got a taste of the world of how it was. I just remember being so scared for my brothers that left because I knew that they were going to go to hell. And when we got excommunicated, I thought, I get to be with those, you know, my brothers, and maybe we can all go to hell together, and at least we'll be together. Well, they wanted me to get in touch with the church leaders and, you know, confess my sin of, you know, associating with the outside world, I guess. I don't know. And I threw all my stuff in two wheelbarrows and wheeled it out there and threw it in the truck and says, get out of here. Oh, because Dad's, Dad's almost in town. What held me back was that um, James told me that he'd take my children from me and I'd have nothing. I'd go to hell. I'd be had by every guy that came around. I got married to um, a man that comes from the same group that I left. There was a time where I, I begged him to go to school and he said, no, you're a housewife, that's what you were meant to be. I started believing in myself for once and that's when the marriage turned really bad. And I left the van and the keys, and my phone deleted all the numbers. And I left a bottle of whiskey on the table, just in case he needed it. <laughs> I was scared to death. I knew that he would find me. I started telling my story to the victim's advocate, and she says, I know this wonderful woman, Tanya, with holding out help, and she's here to help women transition into mainstream society and be there for you, and it's a safe place. Well, it is always a pleasure to have you, Tanya, uh, you? joining us, and it's, an, it's an honor to be partnering with you in what you're doing. So, um, obviously, uh, one area where there's huge opposition <laughs> to God's will for people's lives, and you have dove into that. So, why don't you... Kick us off and just share with us how that happened. How'd you, how'd you get involved in this and, and share with us your journey? I'll make a very long journey very short for okay. you today. <laughs> um, opposition is um, basically my middle name. Um, you know, God had to do a lot of work in me in order to get me to be obedient to do what he has called me to do today. I'm just an ordinary person. Uh, but grew up under extraordinary circumstances. I um, was raised with a very dysfunctional family, like many of you out here, with a couple of alcohol parents, um, alcoholics and drug addicts, and they had sex parties at the home. There was really no place to find safety. And when I was roughly about 12, um, I remember my mom officially took off, never saw her again. Um, and my dad thought we were inconvenient. And so he thought he would hand us over to the state of Nebraska. And we had moved seven times that year. And we had landed in the final school that I was at. And I got called down to the principal's office. And I remember walking in there scared to death. And he sat me down. He said, I know you've never met me. And I'm aware of your circumstances. And we would like to take you in to raise you as our own. And I think for me, that was God starting to take a horrific circumstance and starting to show me a little bit of light. And I got to learn what compassion was. I got to learn what mercy was. And when you have a stranger take you into your own home, I really got to understand what unconditional love was. Mm 
And so they raised me, went through junior high, high school, college, got married, 30 years old, gave my life to Christ. And I believed that I was saved, um, fully loved unconditionally by God, but I refer to myself now as a fearful Christian back then because although I believed I was saved, I was not living in his freedom at all. So at age 35, um, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and um, I remember laying on my deathbed, um, which I thought was going to be my deathbed, and I'll give you a side note, four years past my due date, and I'm still here and and pretty healthy, but um, when I was laying there, really, Dave, I had, I said a prayer that just said, God, if you give me a day, a week, a month, a year, I am going to serve you boldly in whatever capacity you see fit for my life. And I think that was the first time I'd ever surrendered really to God. And it was the first time growing up with all the insecurities that you grow up when you're raised in that kind of environment that I finally realized that my audience was not out here. My audience was here and it was one. And so I had to meet him soon. So I wanted to honor and serve him. Um, And so really that led me to receiving an email shortly after I got out of the hospital and got well that said, would you be willing to use the house that we had just bought to have a live-in to help me when I passed or with my children? Would you instead use that in order to bring a family out of polygamy? And um, I was shocked. I was like, okay, I'm facing my prayer right now. Am I going to live boldly or am I going to live in fear? Am I going to really live out my faith? And so I sat my family down and um, we prayed about it and talked about it. And we decided, yes, let's do that. But again, God had a little bit bigger plan. He always does. And so we took in this family and that is really when we realized the injustice that was happening right here in our very own backyard. Um, You know, it's great as Christians go to third world countries. It's a need. I desperately want to go. I've never been. But I realized that there was a third world country right here in Utah where people were literally living in complete and total oppression, um, where uh, they were uneducated. They couldn't make choices for themselves. Um, Child labor and sexual abuse were very normal. Um, And they really believed that there was one person that would send them either to heaven or condemn them to hell. And so at that point, again, in faith, I was like, God, I'm, again, stay-at-home mom for 10 years. There is no way I can do this. But I was at the point that I knew if I moved forward and trusted him, that he could. And so we started holding out help in roughly about 2008. It's amazing. So, yeah. Isn't that great? And <clears throat> it's awesome. So, all right. So that's, that's a, a pretty big deal to, to confront and, and, and dive into. And, but share with us some of the beautiful things you've seen. Um, you know, I guess I could go into a lot of the physical stuff and give you guys statistics and stuff, but I want to get into a little more of, I guess, the human side, and I think the best way to do that is to share about a 14-year-old boy that was literally driven all the way from Oklahoma by his mom and dumped on her doorstep. And she said to me, he's a really, really bad kid. Well, speaking with this young boy, we realized that he had been deemed unworthy at age 10. He was sent into a shop slash shed to live because he was not worthy enough or holy enough to be in the presence of his siblings um, or his family and, I mean, even his mom. And so his mom would carry a meal out a day. Um, If he was lucky, he would get a snack or two meals a day. And there he remained until the mother dropped him off on our doorstep. And 
this young man um, obviously had no hope, and we stuck him in a healthy host home. Um, we got him a mentor, and the first week he fell over the dog, a normal fall, and he broke his arm right here. We went in, we got him a cast, um, we sent him back home, and he got well, and then he decided to go skiing. Uh, yes. He did a black diamond for the first time, but they said the fall that he had was, it should have maybe jarred him, at worst popped his shoulder out of place, but instead David completely shattered his shoulder. And so $40,000 later, lots of pins, uh, they weren't even sure his shoulder would hold, um, they sent him home, but the doctor said, we took x-rays of his entire body and found lots of previous breaks that have never been attended to. And he was severely malnourished. The boy looked like he was literally 11 years old when he landed with us. And so the beautiful thing, and where I really want to get to, is um, within four, the first four months, he grew two inches. He gained 10 pounds. Um, Intermountain Christian School allowed him to be um, put in their program. Um, they take in uh, several of our, a lot of our polygamous kids, actually. And he got a 3.1 his first year without any formal education in his life. He has friends. He is in sports. He has a family that is loving him so well. And he's now learning what compassion is and what mercy is. And he's learning that God is loving and kind and just, just adores him. And so we've been able to give hope where hope is pretty much lost in these guys' world. So. Awesome. Is that not cool? That's also cool. <laughs> so those of you who have been a part of K2, you know every, every Christmas we do this thing called Evolution, where we just say, hey, instead of just buying more gifts you know, for ourselves, I love giving my kids gifts, but every Christmas we're saying, let's, let's actually do the heart of Christmas, right? Where Jesus saw the darkness in the world and said, I'm going to come and be the light to the world. So we do different organizations that we actually give to and holding out help is one of those and we're so grateful and uh, thank you you yeah. guys are the ones that are changing lives without even knowing and i get to be on the front lines and see the change but you guys fund us behind the scenes and and that's much needed so thank you you bet hey let's pray can i just pray for them jesus thank you so much for taking um an ordinary girl <laughs> from an, an extraordinary circumstance growing up rescuing her healing her, redeeming her, taking a 10-year housewife, healing her from cancer, and then calling her to bring healing and hope against something that would be so much bigger <laughs> than we would ever think we could probably ever have a dent in. And you are, and we thank you for that. And we just pray that you'll continue to do that. We pray for your, all of us. We just lift up holding out help. We ask for your continued provision. We ask for continued vision straight from you. We ask for more people to jump in, to join in, to be host homes, to take care of these kids, to mentor these kids, to, to be tutors for these kids. And we just, we just thank you for the ministry that's happening, and we pray that more and more stories like the one we just heard would take place where people would find the freedom and the life that you've created them to. And thank you for Tanya. We just pray your blessing on her, on her marriage, on her family, her health, and that she would just receive the fullness of the power of your Holy Spirit as she continues to walk in faith with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank amen. You. you bet. I didn't expect to cry. <laughs> awesome. When you face opposition, here we go. Any opposition to God or his will for you 
can be overcome with faith. Because opposition is actually God's opportunity to reveal his glory. It always is. So why is this so important? That's what I want to teach us today. That's what I want you to know. I want us to walk out of this place with a deep-seated belief that any opposition that you're facing right now to God and his will for your life can be overcome. Anything you're going against right now can be overcome by faith because opposition is always God's opportunity for glory. It just is. And why is this so important today? Because too often, though we believe in God, we have faith in Jesus Christ, but when opposition comes, it's crazy, we actually think that it, it feels like the opposition is bigger than God. Amen? And so what happens? We get stuck. We withdraw. We hesitate. We avoid. We have fear. And next thing you know, you're paralyzed and you don't move. And faith is actually active. And so we've got to talk about this topic about when opposition comes and can it actually be overcome. So we're going to look at a very famous story today. And I want to encourage you, please, just because we're going to talk about David and Goliath, right? And so some of us are immediately back to, oh, I know that story. But open up your heart to his word to you today. God's word is living and active. And it is useful to teach you, to rebuke you. In other words, to get you back in the right path, to correct any wrong thinking, to train you. So, so be open to the story today. Because I've, I've been praying, we had a great time praying for you this morning, that any opposition, any opposition you're facing, that you're going to actually be, this, this can be overcome by my faith in a God who's bigger than this. The opposition you're going against right now is God's opportunity to reveal his glory. So let's just jump into the story, okay? You guys remember David? He was the runt of the family, <laughs> so same type of thing. He wasn't one when, when they, uh, God was going to anoint a new king, and they go and they look at all of his brothers, and they think it's them, and it's like his dad doesn't even ask David to show up. That's how much vision he has for his son that he could actually be anything great. So then the Philistines... And the, the Israelites are having battle with each other. Scripture says that Saul and the Israelites assembled and they camped in the valley of Elah and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And all of David's brothers were there. So his dad sends David and says, hey, I want to find out how my boys are doing. Here's take them some food and give me a report. So David shows up, right? And what happens? There's this guy called Goliath. Now, the scriptures, when you look up in most of your Bibles, you look at the bottom, and it'll say that Goliath stands nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, some people say it wasn't that tall, but he was tall. He was big. In fact, his, his armor weighed 125 pounds, okay? Now, I looked this up. The average person, because the, the archaeological digs have found remains of people who lived during that time, the average height of a human being, of a man, was less than five foot six. Okay? So David and Goliath look something like this. Okay? That's Shaquille O'Neal and Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is exactly five foot four. So that's about the size of an average Israelite army, a soldier, right there. Shaquille O'Neal is 7'1", add two more feet to that dude. So what was happening? 
His, again, this is crazy. His, his armor weighed 125 pounds. The iron point of his sword weighed 15 pounds. And I love this. So here's this giant of a man, and then the scriptures say, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. <laughs> Thanks, Susie, for laughing at Kim. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny too, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? The dude probably can't even carry his shield. You know, like the Goliath needs an a, a, a armor bearer. But on hearing the Philistines' words, because what would happen for 40 days, they'd come out, the Philistines and the Israelites, and then Goliath would come and he'd just defame them and challenge one of them to come out and fight him. And whenever they heard his words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed. The Bible says they were dismayed and they were terrified. So they drew the battle lines every day and Goliath mocked them and mocked their God. Now, how do these Israelites respond? Now, here's what's interesting. They're Israelites. They believe, they have faith in Jehovah. They believe in God. But how do they respond to this opposition against God? They don't move. Not one guy will move. So they have faith that requires faith. Because they aren't moving, and you guys know this, the Bible says faith without action is what? It's dead. So in other words, we can say that we believe certain things, but if you don't move, you don't believe it. So these guys probably believed that Yahweh was, that Jehovah was God, but when it came down to, but this dude is nine feet nine. And so they didn't believe in their heart that God was greater than him, and so they didn't move. They know that who they are and the stature that they have and their spear and their javelin Versus Goliath is no match. That's what they believed. In opposition, though, opposition, things that are greater than you, stronger than you, bigger than you, are God's opportunity to reveal his glory. But I can tell you, in this story right now, so far, there's no glory happening here. <laughs> there's no glory. It's all fear, and they're losing so let me just ask you, how are you doing against what is opposing you? How are you doing against the thing in your life, the opposition that you're facing, that's against God and his will for your life? Are you moving forward or are you frozen? So what happens when you face, what, and I just want to help you to think, what are your Goliaths? Because there are some things that are big and nasty opposing you that they're actually opposing God's will for your life. So for some of you, it's making your marriage work. Making your marriage work right now seems like a Goliath. And I just want to tell you, I just want to encourage you, remember this, every great story that you've ever seen, every great movie always has a great opposition. It's the great conflict that makes it a great story. So some of you are, it's like, my Goliath is my marriage. I just don't think we can make this work. I believe with all my heart, it's God's opportunity. It's his opportunity for glory. Conflict with other people. Some of you are in conflict with other people and it just seems like a Goliath. You can't make it happen. Addictions, addictions to pornography, addictions to alcohol, addictions to drugs. Some of you, your, your Goliath is anger. 
It's inside of you and it's controlling you. It's bigger than you are and you can't beat it and it's keeping you from being the person you want to be. Codependency in codependency behaviors. But here's, here's another one. Some of you, Goliath is a fear and I love Tanya's story. It's a fear, like she said, I was a fearful Christian and God has a call on your life. He has a call on your life but there's a Goliath that's standing there. Fear to say yes. Some of you have responded, but you want to give up. It's perseverance to keep going. And I tell you, you know what? The fear of failure is a great Goliath. He is a big monster that stands in front of so much of the glory that God wants to do, but you don't think you're going to be able to do it, so you just want to hang back. And for some of you, you've been on this journey. I think your Goliath is actually faith itself. It's so scary to even think about giving your life to God, to actually entrusting him to let Christ come in. You come to church on a regular basis and you hear this, but you can't take the step. There is a Goliath, there is an opposition in your life to God and his will for you. And I'm telling you this morning, that opposition is God's opportunity to see the glory. See, what was happening in the story? Everyone was relying on themselves instead of God. Every one of them, except David. He was the only one. See, because for David, everything was about God. This isn't up on your screen, but here's what it said. When David showed up, right, and all the guys are scared to death, trembling, he listens to Goliath's, uh, his defaming remarks, and here's what he says. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? Totally different response. So then he goes to, David goes to Saul, who's the king. Now here's the interesting thing about Saul. When he became king, it said that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So the normal Israelite man, Saul already had another foot over him. So if there's anybody who could go and be Saul, was he going? Uh Uh-uh, he wasn't moving. So David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him? You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. See, he can't see it. I tell you, this, this, this is one of the things that so frustrates me is that nobody, like you might even be like David, maybe something is rising up inside of you and you thought, I can do this, I can go for this, I can fight this opposition. And then you'll have somebody else come along like a Saul and say, you can't do this. It's one of the things that's frustrating to me to find somebody in my life who would come and tell me the truth. You can do this. Why? Because the opposition you're facing is simply God's opportunity but you're never gonna experience it unless you have faith. Here's what's crazy, you guys. In all, it's all about your perception. It's about your perception, how you're seeing the problem that's inside of you. They saw a nine-foot warrior who would destroy them if they stepped out. And David saw an uncircumcised Philistine (laughs) defying the armies of a living God. And he walked out there and he was like, hello? There's no competition here. What are you guys doing? He saw differently than everybody else. So here's my question to you. What's your opposition? 
What is it that's coming against you and against God's will for your life? And how do you see it? What are you focused on in the opposition that you're facing? Are you focusing on the size of the problem? He's nine foot nine. Are you focusing on your ability to handle the problem? Or are you focusing on the reality of God's presence in your life to overcome the opposition? You're focusing on one of those things. Is it too big? Are you too small? Or is God, the living God, present in your life? So, here's what I want to help us through. Three questions you got to ask yourself, okay? Three questions you got to ask yourself. Number one, what do you rely on? In your opposition you're facing, what do you rely on? Do you rely on your ability or do you rely on God's promises? Look at this, 1 Samuel 17, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. See, all the Israelites, what they were doing is they were comparing swords, spears, and javelins. <laughs> and they were going, there's no way we can do this. They were relying on their ability and they had no confidence that they could be victorious. But David comes and he says, I'm not going to fight you with a sword or a spear or a javelin. He goes, I'm coming in the name of the Lord God Almighty. See, he was relying on God in the midst of his problem. Are you doing that? What are you relying on? Can you rely on God? What does it mean to come in the name of the Lord? Two things. When you come in the name of the Lord, it means you come in his will. You come in alignment with his will. Go to the New Testament, right? It tells us all the time, you know, pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I think I've shared this years ago. But I used to think that when you got done with your prayers, if somebody prayed and just said amen, I was like, oh, it's not going to work. Because they didn't say in the name of Jesus, Right? But what does it really mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It means I'm praying in accordance with his will. God has a will and you can be in the name of God. That means you're in his will. You're in alliance with him. But it also means you're coming in his authority. So what would happen, right? All the, the apostles after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They cast out demons, how? In the name of Jesus. <laughs> and they would heal people, how? In the, go ahead and say it. In the name of Jesus. So somehow, when, when David was saying, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord, God Almighty, what it means is I'm coming in accordance with his will, and when I get in God's will, guess who shows up? God! <laughs> so he goes, go bring your spears, Bring all your opposition, but when I come, I'm coming in the name of the Lord God Almighty. So you know what he was doing? He was relying on God's presence in his life. So what do you rely on? What do you rely on? I tell you what, this is a faith that requires faith. You must rely on his promises to believe to believe that when you step out in faith 
in alignment with God, he goes with you. That's his promise. What do you believe? What do you rely on, your ability or his promise? Here's what he says all the time. I go before you and I'll be with you. Do you believe that? See, because if the living God, and that's what David said, when I go into this, I know it's God's will to take you down. (laughs) So I'm gonna rely on being in his will, and when I come, he's gonna show up. And I wanna tell you, man, this has been one of the biggest lessons that I feel like God's been trying to teach me. In the 12, 13 years of of K2's existence, because here's what I've realized. There's too many times when I'm facing an opposition or a difficult situation. And when I can't figure out how to solve it, when I, can't, when I go, if I do this, what's going to happen? Oh, that doesn't look good. If I do this, what's going to happen? Oh, that doesn't look good. If I do this, what's going to happen? And then I finally get to this point, it's like, there's nothing I can do that's going to make this work. So go, so what do I do? What do I do? No, nothing. <laughs> how many of you guys do Nothing. When you can't figure out how to do something. Why? Because I'm trying to figure out. It's about me. I got to do this. And what God is saying to me and what he's saying to you is, listen, I didn't, I'm not asking you to produce the outcome. I'm simply asking you to do the right thing. You just do the right thing. You just do what I ask you to do. You rely on me and I'll take care of the outcome. Can I ask you a question? in your area that you're struggling against that's keeping you from experiencing the glory of God, who are you relying on? Who do you rely on? David relied on him. And I want to tell you, man, we often miss out on God's glory because we're relying on ourselves and not him. But opposition is God's opportunity to reveal his glory. Number two, what do you believe? What do you rely on? Number two, what do you believe? Verse 46 says this. David says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'm going to strike you down and I'm cutting off your head. How's that for some confidence? (laughs) How's that for some confidence? David's like, this is no big deal. Because I believe when I show up, you're going down. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. Why? Because what did David believe? He said he knew this. He goes, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You know what's crazy? There wasn't one other guy who believed that. There wasn't one other Israelite, one other person who believed that the battle was the Lord's. They all thought it was on them, so they did nothing. What do you believe? If God has a will for you and for your life, can you believe that then he would empower you to face it head on and take it down? Because the battle is actually his. What do you believe about your opposition? Is it bigger than God? Are you not capable? Or do you believe that there's nothing that can oppose the living God and that the battle is his. Opposition to God is his opportunity to reveal his glory in your life. I love this Romans 8. Let's bring it to the New Testament, right? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Come on, bring it on. No, go, go back. Sorry. (laughs) 
bring it on. What, what are you going through? What seems bigger than you? What's going to happen? And then it says, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, uh-uh. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Come on, bring it up. How, how, how big is the thing that you're going against? Is it death? Is it life? Is it demons or angels, present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, you guys, in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Really? See, because here's what I release. I know that because the Bible says I know that. I can even teach it to you. But when opposition comes up, because here's what happens, you guys. Opposition always reveals what you believe. It just does. How can we come to have this faith which overcomes opposition? Here's how it works, one step at a time. How can we have faith that will overcome the opposition one step at a time? You know what David said to Saul? He goes, he goes you can't do this. <laughs> You're just a youth. And David says, the Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and he will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So you know what David knew? He's like, a bear came against me, and bam, God rescued me. Bam, the lion came. See, David had taken smaller steps of faith and saw God come through, and then when the giant showed up, he's like, God can take this down. He can take this down. What's your application for today? Here it is. Take one step. One step against what's opposing God's will for your life. Take one step of faith against it. You know what will happen? If you trust God and just do the right thing, just do what he says, you will take a step and you will walk in the spirit of God. And God will show up and he'll do. Can you guys, can you guys imagine how are all those other Israelite army, the older brothers, the men, the warriors, they watched a little shepherd do, fwink, bump, and he fell down. What were they thinking? Oh my gosh, this works. This little dude believed in God. And that's my last point, you guys. And this may be the most important thing. What do you rely on? What do you believe? And then who do you live for? What do you live for? You notice what's, this was so crazy to me when I read this. You know what, David, notice what his focus is on. He says absolutely nothing about saving his people or protecting their land so they can have crops. He says nothing about Israel going into captivity or losing the life that they have as God's chosen people. He never says, I'm coming into this because we got to save our lives. He says nothing about that at all. David has no focus at all on himself. His only concern is the glory of God. Look at this. He goes, when I come and do this, he goes, the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. The whole world will know that there's a God who lives in Israel. 
And the battle is the Lord's. And look at this. And all of those that are gathered here will know that it's not by sword. It's not by spear. It's not by any ability. There is a living God. And you know what David wanted to see happen more than anything else in his life? Is he wanted God to get glory. He wanted people all over the world to be able to go, there's a God. There's a God. There's a God who's alive in K2, the church. Is there? Do you and I live lives that are for God's glory? Or are we like all the rest of the Israelites' armies? Because you know what they were doing? They were just trying to protect themselves. I'm trying to protect myself. And I tell you, this is the biggest thing I feel. I feel constantly this fear to protect myself. To protect our life, right? Are you guys, are you trying to protect your life instead of stepping out? And David was like, I had nothing. They all felt, I got something to lose here, man. I could lose my life. And David's like, I got nothing to lose, man. I've got everything to gain. Because he was living for God's glory and not himself. Here's what I know. And I know it all too well. Because it is my personal battle and I know it's yours. That when we live for ourselves, even our faith is based on how God can make my life better. I believe in God so he'll make my life better. And then you know what? When God gives you a radical call or he asks you to step out and to do something that'll make you sacrifice yourself, we all go, "Uh uh-uh. Because we actually have faith that needs faith. We need to believe that God is greater than everything that we're facing. And can we get to the point where we actually will live for him? Now, here's what's cool. If you live for God and his kingdom, when you live for his will and for his glory, you know what happens? Every opposition becomes an opportunity. You see it as an opportunity to see God do something so great that the whole world is gonna see your life and your faith and you stepped out and God did something more with you than you could have ever done yourself. That's why I tell everybody, everybody who's struggling in relational stuff, I go, man, I am such a hopeless romantic in the gospel because if you get the gospel, if you get the love of God inside of your heart, you could be one of the greatest stories that the world needs to see that there's a love that never ends. But I'm telling you what, man, that means you can't live for yourself. You gotta live for God and for his glory, for his will. And what did Jesus say? He goes, seek first the kingdom of God Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will be added to you as well. Back in Romans 8, 36, it said this, as it's written, for your sake we face death all the time. Do you see I see this? It's for your sake we face death all the time. Romans 8, 28, one of the most classic verses in all the Bible, says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. But look at this, and those who have called according to what? His purpose. See, I think sometimes you're facing opposition in your life, but it's actually opposition to the American dream instead of the kingdom of God. 
And sometimes we get super angry at God because he's not making my life better. But the truth is, you guys, that God says, I created you for what? For me. And when you live for him, then you can have a faith like David. And you can believe that he's greater than anything else. And you can take every opposition that's coming your way and you can take it down because you actually are coming in the name of the Lord. I'm walking in God's will. And when I walk in God's will, God shows up. And he can take your opposition right now and crumble it if you will live for him.